So welcome to episode 29 of the Cake Watch podcast. I'm Chris Kendall, uh, one of your co-hosts. I'm an EU official, a Eurocrat, working in Brussels, slaving away in the paper mines. Uh, but that's not important because I'm podcasting in a strictly personal capacity. And with me is not Steve Bullock, but Steve Analyst. Hello. Steve. <laughs> Steve, you're being promoted from occasional guest to occasional co-host <laughs> yeah um well yeah all the all the all the mail bags of uh, mail that you've had demanding that i'm made a co-host it's uh, it's finally paid off well our listener numbers always spike when you're on so you know we thought we could do with the <laughs> we thought we could do with the hits yeah that won't last <laughs> so we weren't um we weren't here last week um for a couple of reasons one was that i was on holiday um it was half term and the other reason was that um, poor old Steve B is down with some kind of horrible lurgy, and he still is. So he's not he's not match fit. So we're going to do it instead. Yeah, I was going to do it. Um, we talked about me doing it last week, didn't I? Didn't yeah. we with um, Steve? And then Steve said, "I can't do it. I'm really ill." Um, and he and we said, "Okay, we'll we'll talk about it next week." And he's still ill. It's uh, still yeah. ill. So get well soon, Steve. Yeah, come on, Steve, pull it together, mate. We need you. We need you back. We do, yeah, we definitely do. But in the meantime, um, God, there's so much to talk about. I've, I started making a note of all the follow-up, and I just kind of gave up and discussed because I'm, I'm, I'm. It stresses me out to look at how much stuff has happened since since we had a great, great podcast, which I'm sure you listened to, Steve, where we got our four MEPs. He's he's gurning at me over Skype. <laughs> You've got to tell me you you had to have listened to that last one. It was an epic podcast. I haven't listened to it yet. <laughs> I'm, How I'm, many episodes of this have you actually listened to? I listened to the first three, four. <laughs> I, I I the thing is I've got a problem with the audio on my on my PC, which means I can't it, it tends to shut my PC down, so I don't use my audio much. <laughs> uh, this this is true. So um that's the worst. That's like the dog ate my homework. It, no, it's, you know, it is. It is true. Which means I, I, there is a part of me that says I really should bring my iPad in where I'm working and listen and try and get through all the cake watch things. But you've made like a hundred now or something. Twenty nine, as I just said at the top of the podcast. So, so I'm not gonna. Yeah, I, there's a few that I actually do want to listen to. I do want to listen to the Federalist one. Yes, I do want to listen. That to was it. your homework last time. Yeah, you yeah. Still haven't done it. Yeah, yeah. I still haven't. Um, I, I, I want to listen to the David Henning one. I want to listen to uh, the Tanya Bjork one. One. Um, so there are a few. There are actually episodes that I do uh, that I have queued up and said so I do want to listen to that. So don't don't think that I, because I'm not listening to this that I that there is not an intention to get through these episodes at some point. There, there I have a list of things <sighs> I want to listen to. But uh, the yeah. dog ate my the dog ate my podcast. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but uh, no, I mean it, it, it's all absolute gold dust. We have done some really great stuff, actually. Um, <laughs> honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, if the MEP one is actually that good, then I will I will tune in for that one definitely. Uh, it's, it, it's essential listening, just simply because how often do you get four legislators uh, from different parties around a table talking about Brexit? I mean, it was it was fascinating. Yeah, I, I imagine. Yeah, I, um, yeah, it, it's. <laughs> I hadn't thought about it actually. <laughs> I just thought, oh, some MEPs talking. <laughs> I shall, if it's actually that good, I will, I will, I will add it to the list of 
episodes to listen to. Well, what's interesting about it is that they have a that they have a really interesting conversation about whether they think we'll have um, a people's vote or a final say or whatever we're calling it this week, and whether Article Fifty could be revoked and whether it will be revoked, and, and you know, a, a really interesting one of the one of those really interesting where is this all heading discussions, which I didn't necessarily all agree with, but I was quite surprised at actually how much consensus there was between them, despite them all coming from these different party backgrounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, That's I, interesting. I don't I don't know what's going to happen. I, I've, I've, don't you? No, I, yeah. I, the, the, I've, the, the, my involvement in certain operations behind the scenes in terms of the people's vote, uh, I don't know if anything's going to happen. I don't know. Um, I just do not know if they think something's going to happen. Um, I just don't know. Yeah, I, I, my, my, I don't know. I, I oscillate. I mean, I, I think three or four different things every day. I, I don't know. I just, on the one hand, you really do get the sense now that things. It's not. It's not just a few of us lunatic remainers um, railing against the inevitable. It just seems to be just such a a widely held conviction now that the thing is just a disaster and that it has to be stopped somehow yeah and yet at the same time i don't see how that how we get to that point the politics yeah. doesn't work yeah 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 me. exactly the, the, there it's is the automatic operation of law as, as as we keep saying as david allen green keeps saying it's it the default option unfortunately is that we leave yeah yeah exactly there's there doesn't the politics seem to be in the way of what seems like sense um, yeah, and the time, the time's too. Uh, th- we've run out of time. We've literally run out of road. Yeah, and, yeah. And the th- and the awful thing is that people. I think we're all f- fortunate in that we, our generation, um, and, and even the generation before ours, are lucky lucky enough to have lived through a period of history where um, really awful shit things generally haven't happened to Western Europeans, and we do not realise that really really shit stuff can and does happen to good people by default because it just becomes impossible to stop it yeah even though everybody can see it happening it's that whole rabbit in the headlights thing steve what are we going to talk about today Uh, well you wanted to talk about you wanted to talk about the schedules yeah so um the schedules have been so we've recently had a uh, complaint in from Russia, and this led to some sort of big issues because people thought, "Oh no, what's what's Russia doing?" Well, the, the the so so this isn't not normal. This is the process. The the time in which these countries can register a complaint is coming to an end. So, the fact that we've suddenly got Russia in and we've got other countries coming in that that that's not uncommon. Mm. Um, so, the people might look at that and think why is Russia doing it why the timing but it's it's literally coming to the point where Russia has to do it or they don't do it so so okay so first principles so explain to us what are schedules uh, we're talking about the WTO schedule right so as I understand it and I'm I'm not an expert um, on article 28 I think it is but um, in terms of our um, tariff rate quota uh, so schedules include things like um uh, how many export subsidies we're going to have, which we have zero because the European Union and I think it was Brazil put in to end our subsidies, our export subsidies in 2015 
So we have zero export subsidies. There's something else on on that schedule that we don't that isn't an issue. Um, and then there's things like the tariff rate quota, which was something that happened in the Uruguay round that we had lots of strange agricultural deals between us. We had like a deal with New Zealand and that all got brought into out of our bilateral deals as far as I understand it and brought into um, the WTO um, into those schedules. So there's certain certain number of quotas that we have. And so when we're splitting up with Europe, then the question goes, how do these quotas get allocated? You know, these, these deals that of we're going to allow X amount of butter in or X amount of meat in. Right. How do we split these between countries? So, so in short, so in short, what we're talking about here are the trade arrangements yes. that we notify to the WTO, yeah, um, and that are then um, agreed by other WTO members. Yeah. So, as the EU, we have um, published our tariff schedules and um, in Geneva at the WTO, and they set out. What our tariff rates are, yeah. um, the base ones, and then also um, what our arrangements are with partners. So where we've negotiated different tariffs, uh, tariff levels, no, but also then, not, no, no, no. I don't think that. Um, no, I think it is down to our what our bound rate. So what our tariffs are, whether or not mm-hmm. we are export subsidies, and then our tariff rate quotas. That's all W zero. So I think it's all just WTO stuff here, not. Not Article Twenty Four stuff. Um, not trade deals. Okay. So listen. Um, so Steve and I. So I'm somebody who's actually. I mean, literally worked in the WTO um, in Geneva, or actually it was GATT at the time that I was working there, um, with a little pass and going in and sitting in WTO, WTO negotiations. And Steve, as everybody knows, is like a massive brain when it comes to WTO stuff and posts these incredible research threads and so on and here we are we I think it's fair to say that we're both like um, yes article article 24 (laughs) I'm quite good at article 28 not so much um what I can say is that it's the the issue is with the quotas so that we've got we say we, we accept x number of x amount of butter in every every year to New Zealand and now we now have to split that between the EU and say how much does the EU get, how much does the UK got, and then New Zealand are now complaining and saying, well, actually, that's not fair because we can only sell X amount to the UK because the market's that small, and we can. We could so these are the TRQs. Yeah, so the yeah. TRQs. So, but I thought that I thought that the schedules were the, the schedules were the published tariff rates. And the yeah, 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 yeah. But there's only the yeah, yeah. Separate. The, the, so, so, so the schedules I believe includes the tar- the the bound rates and the applied rates. Yeah. So basically, how our tariffs look. But that's not that's not controversial because it's the same as the EU. Yes. So um, the issue the issue really is with the TRQs. But the issue of the TRQs because yeah, that yeah, that yeah. essentially so affects their that? market access. These, are, you know, but this but this was already ages ago that that, that several yeah but um, WTO partners said no hang on a second no we don't accept yes. what you what well, you're proposing. Well, now we're getting to the, the the six months or whatever that they've allowed before they can actually then raise an, an issue. So we're seeing a couple of more coming in, and so Russia came in recently, and there's a big fuss. But actually, no, Russia. This is ju- this is actually quite normal. Um, and it's not going to stop us from trading. Um, I think our Europe, I think the EU service schedule isn't agreed now. So the idea that the UK, you know, that there are there are, I think the EU service schedule isn't agreed. So the EU has continued trading without an agreed schedule. The UK can carry on doing that. This isn't a massive deal, but it is a small deal because 
it means that the that how we actually sit in terms of our future free, uh, free trade agreements is a problem and, and countries may yeah. not want to do free trade agreements with us until this is sorted. Well, exactly. I mean, the, 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 and, and there's, there's so much massive widespread misunderstanding about the WTO and what it is and what teeth it has. And, mm. um, you know, it's perfectly possible to do stuff that is wildly in breach of the WTO. And indeed, people do it all the time. Um, what then happens is it ends up in litigation and, and, and the litigation could take years and years. And um, the WTO isn't like um, the... Um, East London Magistrates Court, um, they can't sort of bind you over to keep the peace if they find against you and you carry on doing it or something. I mean, it's, it's all based on consensus. Yes. Um, and <laughs> in short, um, what we're seeing is entirely predictable and indeed it was predicted. We all predicted exactly this. Uh, many of us um, or several of us predicted it quite a long time ago and were widely ignored. Um, and now a lot of people are beginning to cotton on to this. But also they're beginning to get slightly the wrong end of the stick. So they're sort of saying, oh, yeah, this means that we can't rely on WTO rules. Or, oh, it mean, this means that the whole WTO deal fantasy can't happen. And Well, for, there is no such thing as a WTO deal yeah. because that in itself is a fantasy. What they're simply talking about is falling back on... Um, the, the 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 basis the the if you like the blank paper which is the WTO on which all the various bilateral deals are then built that the EU has. Yeah, people people love, people think oh it means that we can't trade anymore that we're not members we're not going to be members or you know the fact is it these aren't these aren't a big issue. There was someone someone was talking today about the fact that we might have to. We may have to pay compensation now. Article twenty-eight, which I think is what covers this, does actually have compensation clauses in it, or it talks about compensation. But I don't know it well enough to know if that if they actually apply. I think that some people aren't happy with that interpretation. Um, I certainly basically I, all, all that I know that re- really is the issue is that it may affect how how quickly people want to be involved with doing yeah. trade agreements. That's that's really the thing. And if these take 10 years, that means we may not do a free trade agreement for 10 years. And Leon yeah. Fox isn't going to be doing that job for that long. Um, no, exactly. No, what it means is that um, it's never going to be as simple as they want you to believe. They want you to believe that it will all be very straightforward. It's all political. Um, the WTO may be highly technical and highly detailed and highly complicated, but ultimately this is about relationships between countries yeah. and relationships between trading blocks. And um, while there may be goodwill and a desire to minimise disruption on all sides, um, people are out for themselves. Yes. And when they see, when they when they taste blood in the water, they will go for it. And this is one of the reasons, Steve, why I really wanted to talk to you, because you, a couple of weeks ago, um, did one of your classic threads. You did an absolute blinder of a thread where you, what you did was you took the argument that we've been making all along, which has been widely ignored or dismissed as Project Fear by, by Brexiters, where we say, um, no, you can't just um, cut and paste existing trade agreements or no, you can't just rely on the Americans and the Australians or and the Canadians to come and give the UK a great deal because they like us. No, um, they'll, they'll, they'll 
sniff for weakness, and when they sniff weakness, they'll they'll go for it. Um, we've always said that. Yeah, yeah. We've been we haven't generally been believed, but we've always said that. And what you did in this thread was that you went and looked in detail at what Australian think tanks and Australian government committees and Australian um, stakeholders were saying about Brexit and what that meant for Australian business. <laughs> what it, what you showed was that they exactly did. They exactly saw it as. Well, here are the risks to Australian businesses and exporters and importers, but here are the fucking opportunities, and we can take these, we can we can take these people around the back and shoot them in the head, and you know, yeah. and, and, and and feast off their remains. It it was it, it was incredible. It's it it was it was a it was um it was sort of luck that I I I did a search I did a search and I found this Australian government document that referred to some source, and it just said, oh, it's going to be it's going to be bad. And I thought, oh, I really want to see the source. If, if, if there's an Australian arguing that our, our economy is going to be bad, I want to hear, see the source. And when I went to it, it actually wasn't that great. It was sort of like, it's going to be bad. It's like, yeah, okay, that's not very helpful. That They're literally just referring to someone saying it's not going to be that great. Um, but the, I found the, when I found the source, I then found an, a, an entire database of these, of these things that were being brought up. And Australia basically said, oh, we're going to do a, we're going to do this, this uh, like a select committee on trade with the UK. What's trade going on? And at some point, they then acknowledged that they were going to do a trade deal. And what that meant is that, although it wasn't an official trade deal, um, negotiation, uh, an official trade deal consultation, people were coming in with trade deal consultation stuff, which isn't usually public. So it's kind of lucky that this just sort of spilled into this, into this. Um, this other study they were doing. So we then had genuine responses to basically what Brexit was, what the dam what the risks to Brexit were, what the damage to Brexit were, what the advantages to Australia would be, um, and then what they wanted from the free trade agreement. All in one all in one big resource. And I, I spent <laughs> I spent an entire day reading the documents and then just taking screenshots of everything that was interesting. Um, and there was stuff. I mean, this, there was stuff that 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 was interesting as well. You know, there was stuff that they were saying, "Oh, the agriculture is going to be in a mess." Um, uh, they were saying that the, the 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 benefits to the trade deal weren't going to be that great. You know, <laughs> you know, there was a lot of stuff there. Uh, but uh, you know, there was stuff like, "Oh, when you when you had people in there saying, oh, we don't want to get involved in this possibly fantasy world of the Brexiteers,' you know, you, you mm, see that mm. and you think." Oh yeah, that's that's my first. That's going to be my first. <laughs> Someone in Australia saying yeah. that the Brexiteers are living in a fantasy world, and we don't want to be thing. involved in this. Yeah, this is this is what's so great. I mean, and this is what I really appreciated about what you what you've done there, because we live in this polarized atmosphere where you're you're one of two tribes. You're either a Leaver or you're a Remainer, yeah. and 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 if you're um, speaking as any kind of expert or anybody with any kind of experience on the EU side of things uh, or from an EU member state, then automatically, well, I mean, of course you're going to say that because you're biased and you're on that side of the, the tribe um, and vice versa, you know. Yeah. But when you've got th- neutral third countries who in principle ought to be favourable um, to you know have a relationship with the British and you know 
when you have them all consistently saying all the things that we've been saying, which is that, well, this is going to be a disaster for the British economy and you know there may be some opportunities for us to profit from this disaster, but at the same time, we also don't want to be wasting a lot of our time and resources in, 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 in prioritising this when the much more important work is prioritising the relationship with the EU. Yeah. You know, and all of these things that we've been saying all along, but this is being said in, in, an, in a closed environment without any agenda except what's in it for us as Australian businesses. You know, that's when that's that really hit home, I think. Yeah. And also, I mean, it, it was great to see them saying, no, actually, this Brexit thing's a bit nonsense. We see it was great to see them saying, um, yes, we've got good relations with them, but this is about trade. Sod the history. Yeah. You know, we are. Yeah. This is the, the realities are this is we've got to do what we want for us. Then it was great to see them talking about the single market because we talk about the single market, we say it's important. They go, oh, no, it doesn't matter, we can have a free trade agreement, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And now yeah. you have Australians giving genuine examples of yeah. how they use the single market, why it's important to them, why yeah. they can't afford to lose it, and then genuine examples of why they don't want to lose freedom of movement. Not just they want good visas between us and Australia, yeah. but they don't want the UK to lose freedom of movement with the EU because it's a cost to their business. Yeah, um, and you know, it, it, I, it's I find this really striking that y- you get these ideologues like Hannon uh, and so on who who are um, big poster boys for what they call Kanzuk and the sort of white Commonwealth, and it's all a bit of a slightly dodgy racist construct. If you yeah, ask yeah, me, yeah, yeah. They'll when you actually go and talk to Australians. And, and Canadians, fantastic article in the Globe, Globe and Mail, the Canadian Globe and Mail this week, by the way, on the madness of Brexit. When you go and speak to um, Australians and Canadians and New Zealanders about these things, you realise that um, a lot of the appeal of the UK for them is indeed that it's an, a place with which they have a certain amount of familiarity. Obviously, yeah. there's linguistic as a shared linguistic heritage but it becomes a jumping off point for the single market which is this wonderful you know the la- the world's largest and richest trade bloc um, and there is a sense of exasperation disbelief that this bridge that we marketed ourselves yeah. as you know we're, we're, we're pulling it away we're, we're demolishing it and what are they going to do now and it, it, it I've, I've had some I've had some interesting um, emails uh, sent to me or sent to the Cake Watch account actually by people who who, who, who one in particular by by uh, an Australian lady who sort of came and, and, and really said this you know said how she feels cheated by by the British because her life over here in Europe was 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 constructed on moving to the UK as part of the EU and having that freedom of movement and having all those other things and and now this being sort of torn away and ironically there's an echo in my own life which is that um, I mean I'm I'm I have a German passport and my kids have a German passport thank God uh, which means that we you know, we'll, we'll retain that freedom of movement, and I'm very conscious of how lucky we are to have that. Um, but my partner doesn't. I mean, my partner's British, 
but she happens to have an Australian passport. And we're in this bizarre situation where my British partner may well be able to continue to travel within Europe uh, on, on a Schengen visa and, and through Schengen, thanks to her Australian passport. <laughs> <laughs> she just had a British passport, she'd be screwed. This is in a no-deal environment where they're... I mean, what kind of mad world oh, it's, is this? It's, <laughs> it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, and uh, you just... And also, you, but you, know, you make a good point about accessing the, the, the single market because... It, in terms of regionality, in terms of trade regionality, the the EU is what's going on. There's no there's no way around it. There's the EEA, there's the EU. In mm. Australia, aren't going to invest in Britain to get access to a US free trade agreement. They have one. Yeah. They don't, they don't care about oh well we can do a free trade agreement in China. The the Australia do not care about the tr- trade deals it can do itself. It, all it cares about is accessing Europe. When they come yes. here, they want to access Europe. That's it. Mm. Um, and mm. they were happy to use our law. They were happy to use our legal services in Europe and under our law, um, mm. uh, which is part of the thread. You know, we we there's a lot. There's like a billion, a billion in in law services. I think every year that's going to be gone if we mm. don't get that. So yeah. So these countries, they don't. They, they you say, oh, we're gonna. We first of all, we're a service-based economy and. It's it's okay to have a deficit in goods if you have a service-based economy as long as you have high FDI. Now, I don't know where that FDI comes from if we are not part of the single market because mm. why why are people in Australia going to invest in us to attack to, to get to Europe when we when they can't get to Europe? It's just silly. I mean there was you know there was someone in that thread saying you know we don't actually think the UK market's big enough to manage on its own. Um, but well, at the same time, regionally, that's what's happening in Europe. In Australia, they have something called the Bogor Rules or the Bogor um, uh, Bogor something, uh, which was a, a declaration from 1994, I think, where uh, all the all the all those regional countries are going to get together and build something called the Free Trade Agreement of, a- of the Asia Pacific or something, FTAAP, and so they're all doing their own regional stuff. You know, they're doing RCEP, they're doing T, uh, TTIP, uh, 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 RCTPP or whatever it's called now. Yes. You know, they're doing, yes. they're, they're, they are involved in their, the APEC, the APEC countries, it's APEC. Um, the APEC countries mm-hmm. are involved in their own regional stuff themselves. So they're doing, they are involved in, they've basically got, they've got rules and regulations that they follow when they do trade agreements that they've agreed between themselves. You know, we are going to do our trade agreements like this, we're going to do all of that. So there's, there's, they are, they don't really, they do have sovereignty, but they are meeting standards between themselves and they're working on regionally working towards uh, an economic integration in their area. In Europe, Mm. we've got the EU. You know, they, so we essentially, I'm, you know, you look at it and you think literally everybody, it's, we are talking in terms of trade policy as what can we do now? And everyone else is looking at it in terms of what are we going to be, where we're going to be in 10 years time. Hmm. Um, and so we're going to be behind and we're going to be in an area where either we get back in the EU or we join the EEA or something because essentially we're yes. going to be left behind. Yeah. No, exactly, and this is um, one of the one of the points that um, I've been trying to make again and again and again, which is that um, the, the 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 lie 
that they tell about a WTO deal or a world trade <laughs> deal. Um, what, what you're describing, what they are describing is ripping up 25 years of bilateral and regional trade agreements and falling back on the last multilateral round of trade um, trade deals that was done in the Uruguay round, yeah, which was the uh, early 90s. Yeah. That's that's what we're falling back to, and everything, all the stuff, everything that's happened since, has been built on that basis. So that basis, everybody has that basis. All EU countries trade. The EU trades on WTO rules. Yeah, we all trade on WTO rules. It's just that we have more on top of that that we've constructed through hard, long, difficult negotiations where the EU has been able to extract fantastic deals by dint of the fact that it is the world's largest and richest market. Yeah. That's how we've managed to get these sweet deals from everybody. Yeah. What you're doing is you're tearing up 25 years worth of sweet, sweet deals and then falling back on, the, on your underpants, which is the WTO, WTO and then saying, right, here we are, guys. Come, let's negotiate a deal. There's no way that you're going to get a deal. As the, I mean, the UK may well be the fifth or sixth richest economy in the world. Doesn't matter. It's still not going to be as attractive as the world's largest and biggest market. Therefore, to get a deal as good as you got as part of the EU, forget it. You might get a more tailored deal yes. that is more tailored to, to the UK's you know, economic specificities, but what are they going to be by the time that you, those deals are finished? Well, yeah, yeah. You know? that, I mean, that's. I think that's the point with trade deals. Is that you, and and it's true. People say that oh, there's no benefits to to being able to do it yourself. Yeah, they they are, but the the actual benefits are actually quite minor. You can have a more tailored deal, but hmm. on the basis that uh, Article Twenty Four of GATT, which is the the article where trade deals are done, is pretty clear. The majority of your trade, your your tariffs must be eliminated so not reduced mm. the majority of your trade must be on zero tariff now when you're talking about that actually that means that in terms of tailoring you're talking about the marginal trade that you are talking about you are you know it's like okay yeah we can have a little bit more control on the, the trade that actually doesn't that make much that much difference um, so in terms of that when people say oh you know can you do can you or oh, we can get a better trade trade deal than the EU it's like Actually, the the margins are actually really small. We could, we could open up our if you know these these people that say oh we should have a unilateral tariff reduction. We could have we could literally go to America and say okay, for for eighty percent of access to your market, we'll give you a hundred. Um, that's a deal that the EU would never have done. And if we were happy giving a hundred percent access and having zero tariff across any all American imports, then we could do that because America would say, yeah, that actually sounds like a great deal to us. We're quite well protected from you, and, and you are open to us. Um, and we could do that. So there, there is policy that we can make, which would be tailored, but it, it, it's not what, what you'd really say was a better deal. Um, the thing is, tariffs, the vast majority of tariffs are um, already eliminated. Or are mm. so small as to be you know, almost irrelevant, and I mean, so the WTO w, WTO tariffs, which is what would fall back on that were negotiated um, through multilaterally through to the last round, the Uruguay round, are you know 
are relatively all the low-hanging fruit is gone what's left is the stuff that is highly uh, protected around the world well that generally in the agricultural sector well though i and, i'd sort of disagree with that because um certainly in terms of developed countries they are i mean all our tariffs are low our average tariff is like 1.6 or 2 or something you know the, the all the developed countries the us the uk are pretty low if, if we do a, a trade deal with the us there's not actually much to gain from there but um, there are countries, I think, which we've got trade deals now with, like the Bahamas. It's like the average tariff rate is like twenty percent. I mean, that's 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 not, you know, the, the Uruguay might have brought down the developed countries, but the developing countries still got some high tariffs there. Sure, and but, also, but in terms of not every country has their has tariffs bound. So India has like twenty percent or something of tariffs that aren't in aren't bound in the WTO, so they can raise the, right. they can raise those as high as they like, which is why I think they have whiskey at 150%, you know. Right. Um, so it's, it, there is there is stuff to do. There is, there, you know, there are... So there is stuff to do, but in terms of the, the in terms of the rich, big economy, oh, yeah. where the vast majority of the trade is to be done and the wealth is to be created, most of the tariffs there are already quite low. Not all. So there are definitely tariffs which are still high. But they're high for a reason, and they're not very likely to come down because they tend to belong to those sectors where there are sort of strategic interests or political interests. Often there'll be, you know, um, you know, the Americans might have them on um, um, pickup trucks, yeah. for example, yeah, yeah, as yeah. opposed to, you know, or you know, and 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 we'll have them on, you know, the, the EU will have them on certain sort of cheeses and so on. So, <clears throat> so they're very political, and they're they're going to be difficult to get down anyway. But most of the work that's been done in the last 25 years hasn't really been on tariffs. Most of the trade facilitation, the trade liberalisation has been um, not so much on reducing tariffs or eliminating tariffs, but it's been on other things. It's been on regulatory harmonisation or mutual recognition or standardisation, all these other things that he is so good at and has done so well with all these countries around the world. And the, the UK... As long as it tracks EU regulations and and, and, and standards and so on, um, it will be able to sell into those markets and you know um, we'll have a head start. But I mean, hang on, aren't we supposed to be taking back control? Yeah, no, we're, we're so now going to. Doesn't that mean divergence? No, we're going to be. And, and if, followers. that's that's yeah, that's how. So it's I mean, if if we diverge, we'll be fucked. I mean, that's obvious. Well, uh, you don't diverge from the world standard setter and the world's leading leading regulator and leading market. So you, you want to track it, but then don't you want an influence over it? Don't you? <laughs> well, you don't. So even if we well, even if we go down the EAA route, even if we even if we went for the softest of soft Brexits, even if we went down the EEA route um, and ended up effectively remaining in the single market and remaining you know, in the customs union and having we'd still not get a say in all of those things that give the EU as a trading power. That leverage, yeah. that soft power. Yeah, it's um, it's 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 horrific. Um, that if we, I mean, if we do this this thing, right? So I was a, um, I was an analyst for a multinational, um, and so we deal with market size, and you know, it's like, oh, if the UK diverges, that means prices go up for us. Mm. I mean, it might yeah. go up slightly for Europe, but actually, there's a five hundred million market there. The, the the point is, if a come if a if a if a um company wants to address our market that that's a transaction cost and that means the price will go up um, and it also it means that there are there will be companies in the UK that are building products for the European market if if the, if they can't sell in the UK they will just make them for the European market that reduces yeah. the amount of products that are available to the consumers that means that the prices go up 
that's that's how it works because the yeah it's like gravity the larger the larger the body the larger the mass the the the, the stronger the force you know it, it's it, it's absurd to think that you know yes I know the UK is not um, I don't know Mauritius I mean the UK is 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 a big economy um, it is a big economy and it still will be for a while you know it may be a declining one but it will remain a big one. But it's not as big as the EU, yeah. and it's it's made. You know? the and we were part of the EU. Yeah, it's made the EU. It makes it makes the EU smaller together. Essentially, I mean, I, I look at it, you know, because we, I mean, we worry about margins and market size all the time, and it's like, yeah, what it means is our washing machines will cost more. It means that our televisions will cost more. It means that, you know, that the 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 we end up paying more for consumer items that we we pay very low prices for now, and we take advantage. We you know we take for granted. We go. Oh, you know, we don't get anything from the EU. We're spending mm. money. Actually, it's bringing the cost of our products down because the size of the market is bigger, and that means the margins can come down. Um, and that—that's how it works. And I'm sorry, but it, we are—we have all benefited from the EU without, of without course. ever knowing it. You know, it's—it's yeah. it's just very sad that we, you know when I think about it and think. Well, this the is last what gets thing me so I want to hear is, is you know all divergence. You know, it's just this is this is what makes me so cross when people talk about the cost of. EU membership and the you know people getting hung up on the whole 350 million a week figure. We know that that was a lie, but to then turn around and say, oh, it's not 350, it's 150 or 175 or whatever it is, that that yeah. there's still bullshit. There's still a pointless and irrelevant figure because that should not be seen as a cost. That no, should no. be seen as a, as an investment because the actual. Um, cost is well there is no cost it's the opposite it, it, the, the net gain well there's a lot of work that was done um, on the cost of no Europe the cost of non-Europe so a lot of a lot of people I can't even remember when it was it was a while ago but it was around the time of the establishment of the single market but they did a, there was a lot of work done on trying to quantify what the cost would be to member state economies if they weren't in the EU if there were no single yeah, yeah. market and of course, it's 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 astronomical. Of course, now we're living in a, a, a real life petri dish, so we'll, we'll see what it is because the UK will 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 be the experiment, and we'll be living in the experiment. The trouble with that particular experiment is there's no control because you can't, you know, there's no mirror world where the UK remains a member of yeah, the yeah. EU and be- becomes progressively richer. So you know, we'll get sort of ten years down the road, and and you know, the, the usual suspects will say, well. Um, if we'd stayed, we'd have been poorer, you know. That, yes. That's because well, you know, yes, we're poorer, but we would have been even poorer had we stayed. And 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 of course, it's not true. But they can say anything they like because what are you going to do? Um, anyway, we'll see. But um, hmm. oh, it's, I mean, we're in a position now where I mean, I I I'm not sure how. So I've been I've been looking at some of the customs stuff, um, and I'm not sure if I'm if. The stuff I was looking at was completely in date because they've got the trade facilitation stuff now. But in custom, in customs now, we're, if we're coming out of the customs union, um, certainly how it was um, when I was from what I was researching, um, the custom customs officials have the, the can refer to the trade agreement and say, okay, this is how customs work. They look at the RRO and they look at and if that doesn't work, they look at the de minimis, which gives you a more accurate way of in in case the RRO doesn't work. And then they can just say, no, actually, we don't like this. We're going to use 
some WTO thing, which allows like there's like a five phase thing, which they say, oh, actually, something that's close. Some it's, we we want to charge the same customer something close to it, or something that that is near to what we've got. And there's like five stages, and it's like all of this stuff has to go through now. There's now so much additional complexity going into our into our customs that were not there before, and it all costs money. And, mm. and additional paperwork. Yeah, yeah. The whole point of the EU all along was that you were taking 28 different systems and replacing them by one. And that one system may well still involve paperwork and complexity, but it's only one system yeah. instead of 28. Yeah, yeah. So even if it was the most complex and, 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 and bureaucratic system in the world, which it very much isn't, with a great focus from the EU of the last 10 years and so on, deregulation and possibly going too far, frankly. But um, even if it were highly regulated and highly bureaucratic, which I would argue it's not, it would still be better than having 28 highly regulated and bureaucratic systems. Yeah, exactly. And so, and they're talking about, oh, well, there's this money that we're getting back from Europe, from the EU that we're going to be able to spend. But they say, oh, we're going to do trade deals around the world and, and with all the countries, or we're going to unilaterally drop our tariffs. Well, guess what? Nearly half that money was money that was brought from tariffs. We haven't yes. spent that money. <laughs> We've released it into the private sector. Maybe yes. people might be tough. Might, maybe you should mention that. By the way, that 350 million, nearly half of it we're just going to release into the private sector. That's what we mean by spending money on our priorities. Yes. You know, it's like yeah. actually this doesn't work. If we and and uh, you know, you say it, people go, oh, it means we're going to take control back of our taking back control of our money, and we're going to do trade deals. So like, you can't do both. You can't. Act, so let's let, You can't. Yeah. Have so that let's money. talk a second about power. No, exactly, exactly. So tariffs. So any anybody who studied to do the concord to join um, to, to pass the exams to become somebody who works for the EU uh, will know um, or remember that um, the EU is funded by various revenue streams, and one of those revenue streams is what we call own resources, which means that the EU has direct revenue-raising powers of its own. Yep. It doesn't just rely on contributions from its member states. And one of those own resources is the income from tariffs. Yeah. So uh, any tariff paid by um, an importer into the EU, um, that tariff... It goes into the EU budget. So, um, if the if you know if if and when the UK leaves and unilaterally drops its tariffs, uh, so that people can import with zero percent duty, um, well, what happens to that money, that tariff? Well, that disappears from the treasury. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, who's who's making that money? Are you is the NHS making that money? No, no, it is not. It's losing that money. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 ridiculous, and yet we that's that's the money that they've added to say this is what we pay the EU. You know, yeah. and and then they say, oh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have our money, and we're gonna and we're gonna drop drop tariffs. Yeah. So you can't do both. You you cannot do both. You cannot you cannot meet the criteria for leave because there, there's there's a contradiction there. You know, it, yeah, it's more magical thinking. Exactly, they're going to make, or they're going to save this money and make the money at the same. I mean, it's it's literal cakeism. Yeah, 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 it, and it's it's painful because it's you know you, you hear people saying it today, and the, there's I mean, the big talk but people like John Longworth, I think it is, that's talking about oh, but you know the advantages for Brexit is be able to do our own trade deals. It's, yeah, actually, not not really. I, I spent a very it long really time looking I mean, at this. This is honestly, it's there isn't there are benefits that's just not work if you think that's a the the benefit 
let's talk about something something called um, domino effect. You know domino yeah. effect? Um, in in the trade context, yeah, yeah. go on, explain. Uh, domino effect is that is the idea that people do trade deals because it, out of fear that they'll be left out of other trade agreements. So if the UK did trade agreements with everyone in the world, so would the EU. You know that the EU mm. would be would be um, motivated to compete with the UK in terms of getting those trade deals done. So if you, the UK suddenly decided, oh, okay, we're going to go like mad and try and do all these shallow trade deals, then the EU might say, okay, well, let's do tra- let's do the shallow trade deals first. Um, and so it, the idea that the UK, oh, well, the UK can just do what it wants and let the EU do what. No, actually, the EU will respond, and the EU has better trade negotiators. They could. They have much better um, bandwidth for this. Um, well, it's clout. We have much better clout. The the, the big bit, the, the the bottom line is that we have more leverage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but, and, but you also we got simply have be- more better bandwidth because America, uh, the USA are quicker at doing trade deals than the EU. I mean, I, I actually have no. Well, their their states law probably means that their services aren't actually that deep so that's probably one of the reasons why they get their trade deals done so quickly but if you look at the US trade deals almost every single one has got services with it which is not what you can say about the EU but it's since 1994 when uh, Uruguay brought the tariffs down to the level where free trade agreements started becoming quite possible they also had something called the Memorandum of Understanding on Article 24 because people didn't really understand what free trade agreement the the, the GATT article isn't actually that well written, so in 1994 they came up with a memorandum of understanding of how trade deals actually should work, and then suddenly there's a big blow, a, a massive explosion in trade agreements being made. Um, and you can see, if you go to the WTO, you can see that there's like a few, there's like the EFTA, and there's you know there's a few free trade agreements and EFTA, and then suddenly 1994 comes along, um, Uruguay tariffs brought them down to the point where comprehensive free trade agreements were a lot more possible. Um, and the, the memorandum of understanding made the free trade agreements a lot more clear about what and how these were supposed to work. And suddenly there's a massive explosion, and the EU has done more than anyone in that time. I mean, it's absolutely clear, but they're not as fast as the US. So the, the reason that they are do it, that they have done more than the US is because they're doing more at any one time. They're always mm. negotiating three or four trade agreements at any yeah. one time. Whereas the US is that is just a NAFTA, and then they're going, oh well, let's do three now, having mm. stopped everything, you know. But let's let's talk for a second also about speed at which these things are done, because that's actually quite an interesting discussion to have. Mm. So, um, so I, I've been in on a few. Please of don't these talk and... CETA because we're going to have to. I've done a, I've done something on CETA. I've wrote a thread on on how. We should never use CETA as an example of how quick it takes to do a Canadian. Thing. No, we certainly shouldn't. And and CETA indeed was one of mine. But um, no, um, I've got a couple of other examples. So um, the one I, I've mentioned on the podcast before was Armenia. Um, but we've also got you know um, a, a bunch in in Eastern Europe that I was involved with, and it it doesn't take long for the EU to negotiate a deal. And initial it. The, the the bit that takes long, the, the bit that takes a long time is a getting the getting permission to start negotiations, mm-hmm. and a mandate. So you, you 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 do the consultation, you consult stakeholders, you prepare negotiating directives, you get them then adopted by the council, um, and you have permission to go and start negotiating. So then you have a mandate, you negotiate, 
the negotiating the negotiation can happen very quickly. You can have, um, depending on how many rounds you need, you can go from zero to a final deal in six months. So it doesn't take long to negotiate a trade agreement. What then takes a long time is a the lead up to it, b the negotiating period that's quick, c then the ratification. So it's the ratification that takes an exceptionally long time. So you've got to um, you've got to bring your deal back to the um, council and to the parliament. Usually, because they'll, they'll be if they're a mixed agreement, then they'll need to go through uh, ratification yeah. in, in in national and regional parliaments. The whole process between signature or initialing, I should say, the process, the, the, the period that it takes between initialing an agreement by the chief negotiators and then final you know, signature in some kind of big ceremony at summit, that can take two or three or even more years. Yeah. So that's, that what, that's what can really take a long time. I've got to disagree because I've, I've looked at all the trade agreements. Um, I think in terms of the sort of deals that they're doing now, in terms of um, the Canadian-style deal, without using CETA as an example because that's a poor example, um, I think South Korea was very fast. That was about three years. Um, the two signature, not um, or or until yeah, until signature before before the legal scrub, I think. Um, and so you're talking. Of, yes, it's possible to do a, a a modern trade deal in two years, but I think you, you certainly some of the countries that you're referring to that that they've done some very quick deals. Um, I think we did. Um, I was in a discussion on Twitter because uh, David Hennig had said, "Oh, the EU hasn't done a trade deal, hasn't done a trade deal under eighteen months." And I went, "Yeah, they have." Um, and I had, yeah, definitely we uh, have for sure. And I said, and I, and I gave him one, and he went, well, "That's like four months of negotiation. That's you can't really call that a negotiation." Um, but if you look well, at some the of point. the, yeah, and when you look at some of the later trade deals, actually, if you look at like South Korea, if you look at Canada, if you look at Japan, actually, that is taking longer. Um, well, yeah, okay, but the, but I'm not saying that they all take six months. I'm saying it can be yes, done it, in that it, it, time, it, but it, it can only be done in that time where you have su- such an inequality of, um, of, of of situations on either side. So it's where the EU is in such a strong position yeah. that the other side are basically just going to take whatever's given to them. Well, that you know the negotiation could just go really quick. But there, I think that there's also there's also problems in terms of internal politics because, like, take for example Morocco. Morocco had to put their their trade agreement uh, negotiations on on hold while they looked at the internal politics of implementing the um, the legislation that was required to do the trade deal. You know. So, um, and Absolutely, and Mercosur is another classic example. You mentioned you mentioned 18, Mercosur yeah. before, but Mercosur is a well, Mercosur. I mean, the thing about Mercosur is that again, it's not the hold up there is not on the EU side. The, the hold up on the Mercosur side is because you've got these uh, four countries who um, are not actually used to working together, and they don't have a particularly powerful sort of central um, secretariat or executive that can move things along. And then you've got these national. Uh, interests and so on that that that, that, that cause delay. So that so that's where other delays. So there are many many ways in which these things can be held yeah, up. Yeah, but what's not? I, sorry. Yeah, sorry. And and also, I mean the, and I think we we discussed this before the podcast last time, and we discussed it that these trade deals are political. That you know, it's not just about yes, the negotiation. Exactly. It is so political. Uh, the EU and uh, one of the Mercosur countries had. An issue in the WTO as part of the Doha round, 
and that is one of the reasons that that trade deal got delayed because of things that were to do with trade but were not actually to do with that deal but were to do with what was going on in the WTO. Well, okay, I mean, my understanding of the Mercosur issue... Um, which but this was in the noughties. From, it might be a different issue now. Yeah, it's a different issue now, I think. It's 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 a, it's a Brazilian issue, but um, I, yeah. Um, but yeah, so these are... And, and also, I mean, look at China. So China wanted to do a deal with the EFTA countries. Um, and I think some people who want to be in EFTA don't really understand that some countries want to do multilateral deals, some countries don't. And so if you're, you know, they're saying, oh, the UK can, the UK can be in EFTA and do whatever trails deal it wants. It's like, well, not, not if the country wants to do a, do a multilateral and they don't, they're not interested in doing one with just with the UK. They might want to do, no, actually we want EFTA. And if EFTA, if the EFTA countries don't want to do it, you'll, then you'll, you know, it's, it may not happen. But China wanted to do a trade deal with EFTA and then they looked at it and they went, actually, no, we want to do these bilaterally because we know we have um, real power here. You know, we have we can get deeper mm. deals, and so they did one. With, they were doing one with Switzerland, and they were doing one with Norway, and then someone got a, a Nobel Prize, and that was it for Norway. Nor, the Norway trade deal collapsed partly because somebody somebody that China didn't want to get a Nobel Prize got a Nobel Peace Prize. That is how mm. that is how trade deals can fall down. So, oh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Politics is absolutely central to this. Yeah. So when we're talking about, oh, well, we can just do trade deals around the world. No, there's actually quite a lot of a lot to this. There's what's going on in the WTO. There's what's going on in geopolitical terms. There's what's going on in trade. There's oh, there's, you look at it and you think, oh, how can people be so simple in thinking that this is an easy thing? And even in even in that Australia thread, there was someone saying, you know, we think that the UK has overestimated how easy these deals are going to be. Oh my God! It would have takes somebody like Boris Johnson to walk into a temple and say and quote the Ron Kipling poem, and mm. <laughs> that's it. All trade deals are off. Um, yeah, it's it's and also you look at the num the the fruit that's there. Uh, there's there's Mercosur, which we're not going to do at any time. It, it, and if if there's now this Brazilian president that has come in apparently in the last couple of days um it probably isn't going to happen at all you know that's that's the big thing mercosur actually sounds like it might be dead uh, i would be very surprised if it isn't um yeah that's a shame um hmm. then there's there's australia new zealand well the eu are doing those anyway so there's no benefit there there's singapore which there's no benefit there there's hong kong which have like zero tariffs so there's no com- there's no consumer benefit for that you can we can basically say okay we can protect them from raising their tariffs that they probably are never going to do and we might get some extra service access um then you've got russia who are killing our people on our own land We've got the USA, which the EU are doing a deal with now and may finish before us because it's going to be a shallower deal than TTIP. Um, then you've got China, who is not a market country, which is also the wrong thing to do. It's a massive goods uh, country. It has a massive. Be- it has. It gets a massive benefit from doing a trade deal with us. Well, um, and they've well, got a small service Steve. thing. That literally, when you look at how what markets are left. And then you look at the we've got developing countries where they've got quite protectionist and they're not going to do trade deals anyway. Exactly, you end up with very little for us to do. It's so one of the things that infuriates me the most about the way Brexiters talk about um, about free trade and, and, and global Britain is that it is taken as axiomatic that any kind of trade deal must be 
must be good. Yeah. So trade deal's good. Uh, but the point is, it depends on the trade deal. It depends on the de- the devil is in the detail. You don't you don't say, I must sell my house. Any house sale is good. Doesn't matter as long as I sell my house. Yeah. No, you, you you sell your house for the market value or a little bit above. What you don't do is you sell it at half the market value and, and end up in negative equity and losing. You know, no. So so this constant harping on that they do about well you know we're going to go out and we're going to you know we're going to get all these trade deals and it's going to be fantastic you know firstly you're starting from a position of zero whereas within the eu you're starting from one of the sort of most you know advanced um trading uh, countries uh, trading blocks in the world i mean which is, has invested Un- unbelievable resources and, and and many many years in building a very rich network of, of, of free trade agreements and and trade deals around the world you're tearing all of those up and starting again from scratch so even to get back to where you were at the beginning when you left the eu is going to take 10 15 years it's going to take an awfully long time but that's assuming that you can get a deal with all of these partners that is as good as what you had with the eu well, what you won't, obviously, well, because I, why would you? You won't have the mileage. You won't have the leverage. I think Pascal. I think Pascal Lamy was right when he when he went to the select committee. I think actually that the deals that we have are actually well. We've just. I think that they announced today that they've had trouble. To, they've, they've 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 managed to to reproduce thirteen out of X number of deals in terms of like like all the bilaterals, which is a disaster. In theory. There's no country that wants the economic shock of losing a trade deal, apart from the UK, who's voted to leave one. But um, so there is every incentive for a country that is neutral on Brexit to say, OK, we can continue this trade deal temporarily in the short term, because it, it is better to take the time to say, OK, let's make sure that these trade agreements keep going for the moment and then let's at that point then say okay what do we want from this yeah. trade deal what do we want so i think that people saying oh we're, we're not gonna be able to, to to keep these trade deals going actually i think that i don't know how many we will i don't think we you know that there's a possibility that we won't get all of them but there is a genuine motivation for these countries to agree to to roll over these these trade deals temporarily um in 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 interim terms and i think that that's I'm not that scared about it. I see these countries, and I think actually, if I had a country in Britain said, "Oh look, can we keep these trade deals?" I'd be looking at the, the looking at it and saying, "Yeah, okay." But at the same time, these countries aren't happy with these deals that the Europe, European Union pushed them from them. No, and exactly. So they they signed up point, to these deals they because they turn around and say they'll either do it now and risk going into no deal, and and only an idiot would go to no deal on a trade deal. You know, apart from the UK, who voted for it, apparently. <laughs> Hello. Um, so I think that they, that from an interim point of view, we might end up get. I think the countries are, will push back and put, and straight away and say, "Look, this is this, this, and this." And if the UK folds, great. And if they don't, then it will be an interim thing, and then they will come back to it. Um, I think that re- reproducing these trade deals is going to happen. They, they either won't be as good when we when we reproduce them, or they won't be as good in the future. Um, and also they won't be as good in the fact that we're probably unlikely to get um, a combined region of origin with the EU which means that we're going to it won't be as good because we won't be benefiting in the same way Um, I don't I I don't think that's I don't think it's necessarily the problem short term but it's 
it's going to bite us eventually. There are there is literally stuff that every one of these countries is unhappy with that they are going to take. They they might they might push their luck with the EU because the UK have left, but they're definitely going to push their luck with us. You know, and it's mm-hmm. it's it's there. You know, there's 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 countries that aren't happy with. Um, uh, the RO rules, or they're not happy with other things, you know. We, and and we know we know who these countries are. You know, Mexico isn't happy. Yeah. Uh, South Africa isn't happy. You know, uh, South Korea isn't happy. You know, we know we, what these countries are unhappy about and what they want to change. And we know this is either hap- going to happen in the rollover or it's going to happen in the future, because that they, they do have yeah. us. You know, they they are in a position to say we agreed this on different terms, and now we want to reopen this. Well. Uh, so you're you're a little bit more positive or optimistic than 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 I am um about rolling over existing deals and and cutting and pasting as as I think Theresa may put it and Liam Fox puts it um so I I, I had a bit of a twitter spat today with um Lord Mark Price Oh yeah is he actually a lord he is an actual oh, lord, unlike most of these people. Yes. Um, he is actually a lord. Uh, he was the he was a, a trade minister, and um, he um, he 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 was somebody who who made the argument that um, we will roll everything over. Oh, I'm not sure. They, they, relax, don't worry, it'll be fine. I've been <laughs> running around the world, rolling everything over. It'll all be fine. And people, uh, a number of people came back to him and said, well, no, no, you won't. It's very naive. No, you won't. And, and to which his response was, listen, I was the trade minister. That's what I did. This is what's going to happen. Um, now, you'd think that normally a, 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 an actual trade minister or former trade minister saying it's going to happen would, would sort of answer the, the issue and put it, put it to rest. But unfortunately... Um, in the in the, the world that we currently live, um, that doesn't cut much ice. Um, <laughs> and sure enough, we hear now it's reported. I mean, it was reported in, um, I think it was Bloomberg. Um, the UK has successfully rolled over only fourteen yeah. of two hundred and thirty six EU international agreements. Now, actually, there are, there are more like seven hundred and fifty EU international agreements that the UK needs to somehow replicate on leaving. So I don't know what their 236 figure was, um, but that's only about a third of the ones that we we, we somehow need to replicate. Um, and of, of all of these so far, with three months to go, six months to go, six months, not very long yeah. to go, um, it's, we've only done 14. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah. Yeah. So, so Lord Mark Price challenged on this, saying, "Well, you know, you said that you said it'd be fine, and it's not." He, he came back and said, "Oh, yeah, but this is only things like you know air agreements and so on. The actual FTAs will, will all be fine." Well, <laughs> well, the, 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 the government released a document um, the other day with the list of, doc, of FTAs that they were looking for continuation on, but there wasn't actually that much information on where they were or what they were doing. Um, but what was interesting that they had Norway down as continuation. It's like, how do you continue Norway? You can't. You have, <laughs> Good to, luck with you have that. to renegotiate that whole trade deal. And it's one of our big, <laughs> big importers and exporters because it's in the single fucking market. 
Um, and they're saying, oh, continue. Yeah, no, yeah. we can't continue. We actually do have to negotiate a, a, a whole trade deal between these countries and Turkey. Turkey is a big deal. Turkey is a big deal, I think, for their car yeah. manufacturers because they've got so many first-tier manufacturers there. Um, a big a big case for protectionism, by the way. Um, Turkey has a big car manufacturing base because they were protectionists in the 60s. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it's... Um, uh, the, I, there, there is good reason for these to happen um, how they happen whether or not they have cumulative region of origin um, I don't know um, whether or not the U- I, I'm yeah I'm writing something now and one of my last things is to say make sure you do this before you invoke article 50 so <laughs> you know if, yeah. if you're going to do this make sure that you know yeah. you have these discussions yeah. and you get these agreements before you even begin article 50 because you don't need to be doing this in two years um yeah and yeah it's it's a case of yes i believe that their motivation is there i think it's possible um i think that there will be some changes that we'll have to agree to if we don't have if we don't we will do in the future um I'm positive. I'm positive, but I'm worried about the. I'm worried about the government itself, whether or not it's done the right thing. And mm. I think they should have done. They should have sorted this out and had this prepared before they invoked Article Fifty. I mean, it's just one well, of those of course, things. Well, of course, yeah. yeah. Um, it, there, there's no reason why it shouldn't. You don't. Nobody wants to lose. You know, trade deals are mutually beneficial. You don't want to lose. Neither side should want to lose it. Um, Mm. So there is a, there is a genuine reason. There is a lot of problems with them in terms of the fact that there's regional applicability. So if you read like CETA, it says this applies to the countries of Canada and the countries that that have act, that are under the um, TFEU and <laughs> you know it's like uh, the European treaties. It's like um. So actually, mm. in the, people say, mm. oh, in the transitions, there's a problem. Actually, in those trade deals, there won't be a problem because we will be under those treaties. So those treaties should mm. apply. We're signatories. Oh, in transition. Yeah, yeah. If we're in, yeah. in transition, we will. The, the treaties will apply, and we're signatories. So those ones actually should apply because those treaties are explicit about who it applies to, and we are we are um, covered mm. by that by that applicability clause. But. Um, what happens to the rest of them? I don't know. The transition issue is is an issue there. Um, mm-hmm. I think I think that we will get the majority over. I can't. I wouldn't possibly say that. Oh, I'm. You know, we'll get all of them done. I, that that's that's a little bit too much for me. I'm sure somebody somebody because politics change. You know, there there might we might have somebody that really does have an issue. Um, yeah, I, I, I just feel I just feel that. Um... Yes, normally countries will prefer mm. to minimise any kind of disruption um, on principle, and therefore the easiest thing is simply to yeah, we'll roll over. Um, but it, as as we were, were saying earlier, trade negotiations are about politics, yes. and trade deals are about politics. And the reality, the legal reality, is that the UK will fall out. Um, on the 29th of March next year and um, we will be relying entirely upon the goodwill of third parties third countries to continue to trade with them on the on the favourable basis that we have been so far and that favourable basis is something that we have achieved obtained simply by the fact that we are bigger and stronger and louder 
because we're part of the EU. Uh, and we suddenly we won't be. So, you know, um, I mean, if I were uh, a Japanese or a Korean or a Mexican or an Indonesian or anything other, any other kind of trade negotiator or politician, uh, and I was looking at the situation, I'd be saying, well, hang on a second. I'd be looking very carefully at where um, my what what kind of trade relationship I had with the UK and I'd be thinking very seriously about where I could um, take advantage of the fact that the UK is doing yeah. this thing to itself yeah, yeah. exactly as you described in your in thread Australia about Australia. Thread, yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. So yeah, and so the EU has uh, some of the best negotiators. We've got uh, it's Crawford Falconer who doesn't actually have that much experience as a trade dealer. He, he's, he, he, was, he did some very good work in the WTO right here. But even the people in the W2 were like, why on earth have they got Crawford Falconer to be their trade dealer? That's who we've got. You know, people that in the trade industry, they're like, they're not saying, oh, you know, oh, it's a terrible idea. You know, this this is a terrible choice. But they're saying they're a little bit perplexed by the fact that he's now our lead negotiator. You know, that's what we're mm. dealing with. That was That's our top guy. Um, and then we don't have anybody wow. else behind him. It's like, what are we, what are we doing? Steve, we've been wittering on for over an hour and a half about trade. Are you joking? We are massive nerds. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Oh my god! I didn't so, um, but listen, let's do let's do lie of the week. Now, I don't know whether we're going to be able to get Steve's super lie of the week music. So, um, if we don't, then consider this to be the lie of the week. Lie, of the week. <laughs> yeah, fucking lie, yeah, fucking lie. Right, right, Steve. Okay, so lie of the week. Um, I'm going with. Um, and this is controversial because I think this is the first time that we've gone for something, somebody that isn't a lever. But we're going to go for the people's vote. Um, and we're going to go for... Um, we? Well, okay. Hang on. I am going to go for the people's <laughs> vote. And they did uh, an estimate on the cost of Brexit or the cost of some, some type of Brexit. Um, and that's been roundly destroyed by just about everybody. And... Uh, uh, Jonathan Portes, Steve Steve Bullock himself had a problem with it in terms of the commission side, um, and yeah, it's not good to see your own side coming up with the lie of the week. But I think that's lie of the week. Um, it was last. It mm. was last week, or it was the, the week before last. So technically, it's not this week. But it since we were we were going to do this last week, that was my lie of the week, um, without without question. Mm. Okay. Well. Okay. So I'm gonna push back a bit okay. um, because um, so here, here's what I think about this I think that um, I think that there is a general degradation of of, of um, debate and communication and conversation where um, you, you use the ammunition that you've got um, and we have seen that also on our side, um, people have been willing. We've discussed. Steve and I have discussed this before. People have been willing to deploy figures or statistics or arguments um, to make a point, and those figures and statistics and arguments have not necessarily been thoroughly fact-checked uh, in, in a way that you, you, you'd ideally want. Um, to to call that a lie of the week. Um, when previous lies of the week have been things like you know, um, the sort of stuff that Reese Mogg and yeah. uh, Daniel Hannan and so on come out with, I mean, I think I don't I don't 
put them in the same category. Honestly, I don't. I don't. I don't think that uh, people's vote are deliberately trying to fool the British public into making a decision that they then can't renege upon. You know, I mean, I think the problem I've got with with the liars on 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 the, on the Leave side is that they deliberately set about to fool the public into making a decision which they then couldn't reverse. Yes. And that's why they're so desperately trying to stop a, a, a people's vote, a second vote. So, so okay, so I'm, I'm taking a bit of an issue with you categorising them in the same... I get, I get that. <laughs> I get the fact that um, it, it isn't in the sense that it's, it is a statistical thing. Um, I was just going to read what Jonathan Portes wrote. If people vote, so I'm really putting this out, is it shocking? It is just shocking bad, and they should withdraw it immediately. Self-discrediting nonsense, confusing time periods, economic costs with fiscal ones, counting fiscal costs, not benefits, etc. Um, it was, it's very, very bad. Um, and yes, maybe you're right. Maybe it isn't a lie. It's just truly awful, and it's from our side, and we we should hold ourselves to a better standard than leavers. Yeah. Well, I'm not, I'm not going to argue with that. I, I think that's true. I think that we do have to set ourselves, we do have to hold ourselves to a better standard. We, we, we need to be the people that we, you know, we, we can't, we can't stoop. To, it, it, this whole thing has been poisoned too, because of course, Hillary Clinton said, you know, when they go low, we go high um, and, and got roundly beaten. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I think you're right. I think we have to we have to be we have to be the people that we want we want th- them to be. We can't we can't do what they do. Well, I, th- because, I, I think it's unfair to um, cast- then why should anybody vote for us when we? Have yeah, been- I think it's unfair to categorise levers in that way as well. I think there are levers out there that that have these facts and these figures and they believe them and they present them and they and they they genuinely say, oh no, well this isn't a lie. This is you know these are facts and what is wrong with remainers. Um, there are people that have literally gone to like lever things to find out what it's like, and they say it, they're literally there saying we don't understand why Remainers can't see the truth, and 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 so I, I you know there are definitely politicians out there that are spreading lies that they know are lies, but I think that there's you know I, I think we should we be careful not categorising all levers that way because I think there are levers out there that are sat no there no and think, but but hang is, on this is true these are right. <coughs> But there are facts. Oh, there are I know. Facts. There are, there are, there are, there are, there are facts. And 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 what you've got on the leave side is you've got some people who are liars who know the facts but pretend mm. that they're other than they are. And then you've got the true believers who 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 just believe that the facts are something else, or they they want their own facts. Now we shouldn't be either of those. Yeah, 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 yeah. We should be rigorously sort of evidence based, and we should you know, and and what what the difference should be that where we. I mean, I, I'm definitely somebody who's been guilty of uh, running with a statistic that I've seen without checking it myself, or, or running with something. I mean, you know, that happens all the time. But when 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 that happens and somebody pulls me up on it, I like to think that I say, "Whoops, my bad." I mean, you know, I I, I remember I did um I, I did the US I did EU a, tariff a, few, a few months back. Yeah, where I yeah. and I got the I got the tariff figure wrong, and it was quite a sort of serious error, and it undermined my thread, and I had to go back and delete half of my thread and rebuild it. And I was quite embarrassed, and it was, but, but I did that. I didn't, you know, what what you mustn't do, what 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 I would really object to on 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 our side of the deb- debate is where people just double down on 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 the error, 
and they just say, no, no, I'm not going to listen to you correcting my error. I'm, 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 I'm sticking with it, even though I've been told that it's wrong. Um, I, I, you know, and, and I'm going to block you if, for, for telling me it's wrong. That I really wouldn't want us to go down that path, and I know, know that that has happened on occasion. And unfortunately, that's that that's something that happens um, in in large, broad political movements. Yeah. Well. Um, yeah. Well, we are now. I think in the position now where people are getting desperate, um, and I think we have we yes. are seeing fractures in Remain that we have to. Um, that we have to um, hold together and we have to sort things out. And I've, um, and there's a, there's there's I think there's you know there is they're taking you know people the people's vote aside because let me see I, I have a problem with like people's vote is that we have people like Deborah Meaden going on saying oh I think we should have people's vote because people lied um, and then we're spreading out false information you know I, I I don't believe that everybody all the information that we got from Leave was lies that people knew were lies i think that they there was certain information that people got out that they thought was that was true but was just badly badly checked you know i think that the, some of the leave people are very shallow researchers you know they'll find something that supports their view and then that's it that's the truth and that how it goes um i don't i don't think everybody can be put in the daniel hannon category of just lying for you know lying to win but um we have we're now in a position where we have people vote putting stuff out which isn't true. We've got people's vote, people advocates of people vote saying, "Well, we should have a people's vote because people lied." You know, it's like we, this is this is something. This is starting to look slightly hypocritical. Um, but we've also got you know we've got people like Robert Shrimsley in in the Financial Times writing an article um, called "A Second Brexit Poll Is a Bigger uh, Risk Than Leaving," which I don't agree with, by the way. Um, but then he got so much response from Remainers um, and he you know and, the, and he ended up writing a, another article of how Brexit killed tolerance um, about how how the response he got from Remainers was so bad and I've got a problem with this and I've got a problem with this because he's, he's actually you know he's, he's actually very fair in it he says I I expected criticism I expected you know I had a voice I had a voice and I was criticized um, and I was expecting that. What I wasn't expect was the nature of the criticism, the bitchiness and the vitriol and the stuff. And that's this is this is one of the problems is that um, Remain has got to be open to criticism. Full stop. Yeah, we can't have we can't be in a position where Remain are doing something and we can't criticise it because imagine 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 if we were in the 2016 referendum again and. And we weren't allowed, and and nobody criticised the Remain campaign like we didn't, you know. And then it just carried on doing what it was doing, and then we lost. You know, the idea is, we the Remain as a movement right now has got to be open to criticism, um, but it's it's also got to be careful in how this is done. So, I say Robert Robert Shrewsbury very very unhappy by not by being criticised, but the way he was criticised, and, and the first thing that we have to do is keep you know cool logical heads when when someone is criticizing remain who is also from remain we're, we're all on the same team you know we can't get into uh, vitriolic stuff we can't get into bitchy stuff this is all we we've got to keep a cool head and and have 
objective discussions about this. We can't get into yeah. a position where we're all just getting into bitch fest because what happens is we'll end up with schisms. We'll end up with different parts of Remain not talking to each other, blocking each other, um, doing all sorts yeah. of stuff like calling each other bots, and then suddenly people are blocking each other, um, and then suddenly and suddenly we no longer have a community. Um, yes, it, you know what? This is really we're in a position now where it's really frustrating and it's really scary and we're getting to the end and we're getting desperate but we have to keep our heads we have to keep calm with ourselves and objective with ourselves open to criticism if people are if people criticize me um, i'm not going to quote tweet them i'm not going to try and bring anything down i will take it on a personal level this is between me and that person um, and we'll talk about it um, I may I may not disagree. I may tell them to fuck off. I don't know. But I, mm -hmm. you know, this is about what they think and what I think, and this is about a dis a disagreement about how we do this. Um, this is this between just us two. Mm. It shouldn't be. We shouldn't be introducing some sort of popularity contest over which do we think would be the right way. You know, people should be. And 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 here's the thing: people should be allowed yeah. to um, support Remain in their own way and. People should be respectful to that fact, but if they aren't, the, the, the trick is to cut that crap down and 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 say, look, let's not talk about let's 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 break all that shit out and let's get down to the argument and be objective and clear, and not yeah. bring ourselves into this sort of arguing and, and bitching uh, and this tribal shit because it is not helpful at all. Um, and we are literally we're in the last few days. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if we're going to end up with a people's vote. I don't know if we're going to end up crashing out. I don't know if we're going to end up with a checkers deal. What I do know is we cannot afford to be doing this right now. And it's, you know, it's fine to criticize. There are there are problems in Remain. We have problems in terms of what people vote are bringing out. We have we literally have people who are who are who have crowd crowdfunded money mm. from people that, that they have now blocked. And that is actually quite frightening. Uh, as a political movement, it's how we deal with it. The, we, 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 we would. I would like everyone to be criticising in a in a nice way and and a respectful way, and not not necessarily that's always going to happen because someone's always going to bitch or say something. Um, and the the trick is to say and say, look, we we're, we're both remainers. We can we can agree to disagree. Um, but we're going to cut out the we're going to cut out that, and we're going to get down to the argument, and then decide to agree to not agree. But that's what this comes down to. We we cannot get into a position where we're fighting like this. Uh, even like we had the discussion earlier in the year about blue and yellow, you know, stupid things like that. There are people that would say, "Oh no, I really should have be happy with blue and yellow." Others say, "I think it's blue and yellow for turning people off." As far as I'm concerned, everyone should be allowed to do what they want. You know, they want to wear blue and yellow, great. Um, if people want to work out how to resolve that, I don't know, but it's it's down to the individual. And if people have an issue, then they should be respectful. And if even if they're not respectful, then those people that are taking the complaint should be mature enough to say, look, this is yeah. this is something yeah. that we have to deal with. So, Steve, that was classic rant, um, and uh, <laughs> I think I think that that was. What what you were doing there was getting something off your chest that I think a lot of people um, identify with. Actually, I think that um, you know this is how I feel about this. I think that uh, it is inevitable that in any kind of political movement, 
there's going to be splintering and there's going to be fracturing and there's going to be tension. And um, in one that is as broad as ours, and it is a political movement and it's a very broad church, we've got um, support from pretty much all parts of the political spectrum, all parts of life. Um, we've got people who are arch-federalists like me, not you. No, I'm, yeah. We've got people who are... Um, who would be quite happy with an EEA soft Brexit, actually, at the end of the day. Um, and we've got all sorts of people in between, um, and we've got people who disagree on tactics, we've got people who disagree on strategy, we've got people who disagree on, on, on fundamentals. But we're all agreed on one thing, which is that we are unhappy with um, what the government's doing and with um, Brexit, as as it seems to be developing. So... Um, I'm, I'm not. I'm not losing a lot of sleep over the fact that we're falling out f- from time to time, and I try not to be part of the um, part of that. Um, though sometimes I am. Um, I, I think. I think what you said is right. I think at the end of the day, we just need to be um, as tolerant and respectful of each other as we can be. We need to make allowances. Um, we need to understand that you know, there are people on our side who can have different points of view and who may also sort of get things slightly wrong. And, you know, we've got people amongst us who are um, driven by different motivations and, and, and have very different sort of characters. And, I, you know, I think life's too short for us to get too hung up on these things. We need to... What, the, the, the strength in the Leave campaign in the run-up to the referendum was, you know, they were very focused. It was eyes on the prize, eyes on the prize, eyes on the prize. And I think that's that's what we've got to do. We've got to stay super, super focused on the goal, which is stopping this fucking thing. And, yeah. you know, um, we'll have time to argue and fall out and form Judean People's Front um, you know, if, if, if we win or if we lose. But right now, for me... It's got to be focus, focus, focus on getting this thing stopped. But I, I think that we can't do that without criticising, though. That's the problem. I think that, you know, you see things that have come out, you know, you see this thing that came out of people's vote. You know, why can't we criticise it? It's completely wrong. Oh, no, I, I, I'm, I'm not but, saying that know. we shouldn't. I'm not saying that we shouldn't criticise. What I'm saying, I'm, I'm agreeing with you, that, that, that the criticism that we deploy be should be respectful, respectful and, yeah. and, and, and focused. And, and we what we what what what's not particularly fun is where you see... People who've built sort of big followings, then mobilising or instrumentalising those followings to, to sort of you get sort of personality cults developing. I mean, you don't want that, um, and that that is not directed actually at anybody in particular. Um, it really isn't. Um, but I sense that there's that you sense that there's a lot of um, frustration developing. Um, at, which could develop into um, you know, explicit splits within the movement, and I, I don't want that to happen. I think it will happen eventually, but I don't want that to happen right now. I mean, I'm, I'm, I think if you're doing something that is reaching out to other people uh, and getting them to um, oppose Brexit, and you know, all power to you. I might not. I might not be a fellow traveller with you on your particular path but we're all going to the same destination yeah i i i you know i i believe you know that there are think there are people that are doing things that i don't agree with that i am perfectly happy that they're doing um on the basis that you know that, that they're doing it um 
there there are other things. There are there are people that have been told that they they shouldn't and can't do the things that they want to do, and I I find that very frustrating. Um, I don't really want to talk about that one, but it it, it really yeah. is quite annoying. Um, and I th- I think that's just totally wrong. I think people should be allowed to to do it as they want, but also they've got to be right. You know, they've got the, you know we can't be sit we can't be sat there making arguments saying that oh we need a referendum because people lied and just be getting stuff wrong or lying or or misrepresenting ourselves. I think that's just completely wrong. I think that's just um, massively hypocritical. We do actually have to hold ourselves to a certain standard, um, and that you know that doesn't that you know how they actually go about it what they actually talk about that should be down to them but the standard that they have we we should be able to say that we we need to meet a certain standard here um and uh, i think that i i feel it's slipping i think some other people feel that slipping um and um i'm particularly worried about it um you know from a personal point of view um i'm pretty uncomfortable um but yeah i mean I, i agree that you know, people should be able to do what they want in the way they want, but we also have to meet a certain standard. Okay. Well, we can't we can't sit there saying, "Oh, you know, leavers are like this when we're just the same." You know, we can't we can't fall to that standard. No, no. It it just undermines us. It's it's about responsibility. I think we're we're lacking a certain leadership, and it's down to the people that have sort of carved their niche out to take that responsibility. Because if they don't, there isn't somebody above us that is. Yeah. Listen, um, Steve, thank you so much for um, coming back and co-hosting this with me. I've really enjoyed it. I loved our little nerdy, deep delve into the world of trade. I wonder if anybody's left listening I, to I, us. I, I genuinely don't know how long this is going to be in the edit because you've told me how long, it is, how long we've been talking now and it's like, oh, I don't think that people are going to be listening to that trade talk for that much at that time. I really don't imagine this. I, I don't know how... This is this if if this goes out in by the way folks if you're listening at home if this goes out in its full form this will be the longest cake watch ever yeah by some margin <laughs> and also probably the most boring <laughs> <laughs> we did get a lot a lot into it and I just like to say if the stuff in there about Brazil isn't in there I say good <laughs> that if, if if it doesn't make the edit. Um, it will make the Christmas. Um, <laughs> yeah, great. <laughs> there's a sp- there's a little teaser, right? Well, thank you very very much for having me. It's been great. Um, I'm glad to be promoted to um, occasional co-host, um, <laughs> I'm, and I'm I'm happy to do it. I just like thanks, to Steve. No, no, seriously, we very much appreciate it, and um, I'm not at all jealous of the fact that the most listened to Cake Watch episode ever was the one with you and Steve <laughs> not me <laughs> I'm fine well, about it I'm really fine about it no, I'm pretty... this might go out this might be you know this might be riveting but to be honest in terms of what we talked about I'm not sure I'm just, I don't think this so... is going to compete somehow <laughs> I think this is a bit too tradey <laughs> anyway thanks very much and good night say good night Steve good night